Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Metabolism and Menopause podcast. My name is Stephanie, and I am your host and CEO of Vitality OET. We are a women's health, nutrition, and fitness company that focuses predominantly on women's hormones, particularly as they start going through perimenopause and onwards. We know that during this time in your life, there are so many changes that happen, and you start experiencing crazy things like hot flashes, night sweats, irritability, brain fog, and of course, this wonderful belly fat that seems to come out of absolutely nowhere, despite you not changing anything. So you go back to cutting your calories, cutting your carbs, doing a ton of cardio, all the things that you used to do to lose weight, but suddenly they just don't seem to be working anymore. But we know now that your body is inherently different than what it used to be like before these hormonal changes. So our goal and mission here at Vitality OET is to help you understand what happens to your body during this period of your life, how to take care of your body with all of these new changes so you can finally reach your health and fitness goals, live a life full of vitality, and finally feel at home and in control of your body. So today I have the absolute pleasure of having Adam Schaefer on the podcast. He is from Mind Pump Media. He's one of the founders, the co-host of their podcast. I have been following them since they first started in their career, and they actually helped me really develop into wanting more out of the health and fitness space and helping more people and being able to expand my reach. So to re meet one of my heroes over the past couple of years, I've met him at conferences, I went to an event that they had, um, and they always tell you, like, don't meet your heroes, you'll be disappointed. And I'm very happy to say that that was not the case with the guys from Mind Pump. Um, so it's my absolute pleasure to have Adam Schaefer here. And we're talking all things family, how to raise healthy kids from either when they're babies to maybe they have poor habits as their teens and how do we change that? How do we get them to support you in your health journey? How do we get you to have the support from your spouse um, and things like that? So we're going into all the nitty gritty. Um, thank you everyone for listening. Make sure you go and follow him on all the places. He's absolutely amazing. So here we go. Here's to a great podcast. Okay, so welcome everyone. Today I am very excited to have the wonderful Adam Schaefer on the podcast. Um, I have been listening to Mind Pump forever, like years and years and years ago, and they're kind of what got me going in the fitness field, which is crazy that now one of the hosts here are with me. And I got to meet them a handful of times, and it's been totally crazy. So thank you, Adam, so much for being here. I super, super appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. And I also have like a special part for people that have hung in there with us for like six plus years because we were pretty rough in those early days for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, it, I've like been with you guys through your journey. and It's been awesome to see and like I love it. You guys are like what I aspire to be like. So uh, baby steps. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So today what I wanted to talk to you about, because you've worked in the fitness field for a very long time and worked with all kinds of people. And a common thing that we see a lot of women that we work with struggling with is how to raise their families in a way that is conducive to being more active or eating more healthy or you know, they've lived in a lifestyle for a certain amount of time and now trying to make the switch and get their family and their spouse on board. So what are the first things that you started doing with your son in particular to start trying to implement like these healthy habits or trying to raise them in an environment that's conducive to that? Yeah, there, there's a couple of parts to this, right? So there's when we talk about uh, what it's like being a parent and those behaviors around your child, and then there's like the spouse and some of that. And I think those are different different conversations. As far as like your child, nothing is more powerful than modeling the behaviors yourself. 
you can say everything you want to uh, as a parent, but your kid is going to model the behaviors that you show them. So if you want to influence your kid to uh, be more active, to make better food choices, then nothing is going to be better than you not saying anything and actually just doing and just showing them uh, by example. And, you know, and if you're not, if you're not seeing those behaviors in the kid, then you you have to look back as, as the leader of the family and say, what is it that I'm not doing to model those behaviors that makes them not want to do that? And the nice part about being a parent is you control what's inside the kitchen. So one of the easiest ways, because I'm no different than my clients. I have ice cream cravings. I love sweets. I love chips. I, I love all these, these highly palatable, palatable foods that I want to eat too. Well, one of the best ways that I have success with not eating it is by keeping it out of the house. So it, it, it adds a whole nother layer when you decide, well, those, you don't, I don't want to demonize those foods. So I'm going to allow to have the Oreo cookies in the cupboard, or I'm going to allow the chips and dip to be in the, in the fridge in the cupboard. Like if you allow them in your house, now you have a, a, another thing that you have to control. If you at least keep it out of your house, it, it's a lot easier to say, well, I'm not going to get up and drive all the way to the grocery store and get a bag of chips right now just because I think I'm craving it right now. Or, yeah, I have a sweet tooth. Am I really going to get in the car and go drive to 7-Eleven just to get a box of candy or whatever? That No, I'm probably going to do that. So I think how you set up your environment um, is really, really important to not only the success for you as a parent, but then obviously for your kid. If your kid doesn't have it as a choice um, to even, even grab in there, it's, it's already one layer of defense that you have there. And then the other thing that I think is interesting about our culture when it comes to feeding kids is this idea that you have to finish your plate and, you know, you have this, like, I don't know, we, we, we almost act. And we, we talked about this one time on the show, like talking about if this, this came from like, uh, the great depression, time when maybe food was scarce and you didn't have a lot of money. And so you're sitting down with your, your parents and it's like, you got to finish your plate because who knows if you're not going to get a meal tomorrow. And so that, that makes sense that that, that behavior was modeled in the house because you're, they're right. Maybe they wouldn't have food the next day, but we live in a time and era now that most clients that I have ever had don't have a challenge with where the next meal is coming from. So that's an old cultural behavior that I think that we need to shift and break. And if your kid's not going to finish his plate, he's not going to finish his plate, but he's also not going to get to go have a cookie after dinner because he didn't finish his plate of food. So, you know, you, as a parent, you have that conversation, like, are you sure you're full son? You don't, you don't want anything else. Cause this is the last thing we're going to eat tonight. And it's only five o'clock. Are you sure you don't want anything else? No dad, I'm fine. Okay. You know? And so this idea that you're going to make your kids starve, because uh, you don't have them finish their plate or you tell them it's not dinner time now and that we, we don't have snacks for them to eat. Like there is nothing wrong with that. And again, it's much easier when you model that as a parent and then you're, you believe it or not, you don't have to communicate it as much when you live your life that way. And I think that's why it's been easier for Katrina and I, like I have a lot of empathy for parents who are trying to create this culture in their house, but they've had a different one for say a decade. That that's a, that presents a whole new challenge where it's like, you've already trained that kid for most of their life that we get cookies and ice cream after dinner, or there's always chips and dip 
around the house. And so now you're trying to shift the entire family. And that that just takes time. That takes some time, discipline, consistency from you as a parent. And I do have a lot of empathy for someone going through that. But if you're, if we're like, or we're starting from ground zero and you're about to have your kid or you just had your kid, like, man, it, it starts with you as a parent of being really consistent and modeling those behaviors. And it's much easier for them to follow. Yeah. Like I read somewhere, I can't remember where it was, if it was like a study or from like a study that was in a book that I had read or what it was, but it was something along the lines of for the people who are more consistent or quote unquote, more determined are just people who have less temptation in their life. So like not having those things in your life and making your environment better or like more conducive to the choices that you want to make is crazy. Like statistically how much more successful you will be. Um, but I think like there is such a thing in like, you are in control of what foods in your house. Like, for example, I didn't have peanut butter. People think this is crazy. I didn't have peanut butter till after I graduated high school because my mom <laughs> hated it. So we never had it in the house. And when I had it for the first time, like, how have I never had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich before? How have I never had like a Reese's peanut butter cup? Like, this is insane. But it's because we didn't we didn't have that stuff. Yeah. Or like vegetables were very specific vegetables that because my mom was a very picky eater. So it was like pickles. Didn't have that till I was like, in 11th grade, like these crazy things. <laughs> People are like, this makes no sense. But I'm like, but if it wasn't in my house, there's like no opportunity for it, which is like so crazy. <laughs> there's something really powerful to that too. So I had the, uh, I dated this girl. Um, this was uh, years ago. I mean, this is probably 15 years ago and probably the healthiest at that point up to my life, the healthiest woman I'd ever dated and uh, her parents were highly educated. Uh, her mom had a nutrition background and she had never had sodas. She never had cereal. She didn't have any of those things. And then here I, I'm dating her in my 20s, right? We're in our, we're in our mid to late 20s when we meet. And I remember watching her like snacking behaviors or if she had cravings or let's say she would eat off the diet. She craved things like steak and butter and good salty foods. She had no desire for things like ice cream and chips. And a lot of that was because she was raised that way and we formed that palate. I always give the example of like, you know, Indian people don't eat Indian food because they're Indian. Mexican people don't eat Mexican food because they're Mexican. It's like we they created that culture in their house and they created those cravings those behaviors those rituals around those foods therefore they do it you could take a mexican guy and you can put him in india and raise him there and guess what he'll probably crave and want is indian food not mexican food just cuz he's mexican so it has so much to do with the way that we we raise our kids the culture the 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 rituals the things that we do around food that make all the difference and i don't think we realize sometimes the the power of some of these processed and high sugar foods, uh, the way it hits a kid. I mean, if a kid has never experienced a Oreo cookie before and the first time they have that or ice cream, and you got to remember too, okay, I'm a 230-pound man. My son weighs like 30 pounds. I mean, <laughs> he's like one-tenth of me. And giving him one or two cookies is like equivalent to me sitting and eating 10 Oreo cookies. And as a parent, like you think about that, like, I wouldn't do that. I would never sit down and eat 10 or else I would consider that binging, right? Yet I'll give my son one to two of those Oreo cookies. Well, if you, if you figure just off based off a of size, like that's really what you're getting. You're like sitting here and just think about that for a second. And when you make, when you put that into perspective for parents, they start to go, oh, wow, I never really 
thought of it that way that it is a tiny little human and here we are letting them have, oh, it's just a cookie or two. Well, yeah, just a cookie or two to them for their size is literally like you eating 10 to 12 cookies based off of your size. And put, and then add in the fact that they've never even been introduced to that. So it's like this mind mouth explosion for them that you have now started as a parent that now they start to crave and create this, this behavior they want around that. We didn't introduce Max into sugar until not that long ago. So his entire diet was based off of whole foods. And it was that way because I was really strict around my family and said, listen, because here's the thing, when they're two years old and under, they, they, they eat what mom and dad give them. And one of the biggest mistakes that people make is they love to see the reaction of an infant when you put ice cream in its mouth or you give something. But the moment you do that, you start to change that child's palate by introducing something like that. If my son's palate has been shaped and formed for years around fruits and vegetables and whole foods, then when he finally does get the sugar, which he has, he's four years old now, we have allowed him to go to a birthday party and do that. It's the most awesome thing to watch because my son will grab a bite of a cupcake and set it down and walk away from it or split it with his dad where he'll be like, here, dad, I don't want, and doesn't want to finish it because it's so overpowering for him. And he's, he's been, his palate has been shaped around whole foods. So, and, and I also didn't have to be this Nazi about sugar for the rest of his life. I remember when I first started doing it, everybody's like, what are you never going to introduce sugar to him? Are you going to tell him he can't have candy? Like he's going to rebel and then he's going to go over the top. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. But right now the kid can't even talk. If he can't even talk and ask for a candy, why should I introduce it and give it to him? I'm going to at least wait until there's a time when we have that conversation and he even understands what that food is before we consider introducing it. And then when I introduce it, I'm going to give it to him in very small doses of it so it's not overwhelming for him. And then as he gets older, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we're there on how he manages it. But what I'm finding because we did such a good job of being consistent with raising him that way, it's not hard to manage at all. My son doesn't ask for those things all the time. And even when he gets those things, it's not weird for him to get a cookie and his dad and him share it. And I eat at least half or three quarters of it. And he gets a bite or two and he doesn't feel like he's being deprived. He feels like it's a fun little treat that he enjoys with his dad. And he's, it's no big deal because we didn't make it a big deal. So was it hard to have those conversations with like your family and like close friends and stuff? Like, what was that like? Because I know like one of my best friends, she's done the same thing with her son. And like, I was like, is it okay if we like, he was a ring bearer for our wedding. And I was like, is it okay if we like bribe him down the aisle with candy? Just so we know he gets there. She's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's fine. I'm like, okay. Like, but like I asked permission because I know that's important to her, but I feel like a lot of people just don't get it or like, they're like, oh my gosh, you're being like so extra or whatever you want to call it. So what were those conversations? Like, did you start talking about it before like Max was even born or like, what was that like? Yeah, no, we had a lot of conversations and there was a lot of concern about it. And um, that was the biggest challenge with it was exactly that. It was not Max. Like people think it's such a big deal. It's like, dude, when a kid is again, under two years old, they have no idea. They have no. Cl- when we took him uh, on his first like uh, Halloween, where he walked around and knocked on the houses, when he got all the candy, he thought it was toys. He never even tried to open it. He just played with it because at that point in his life, 
He didn't know what a wrapper to a candy looks like. And so he's playing or playing with it as a two-year-old, as, as it, like it was toys. And I let him play with it for like a week. And then we threw it in the trash and he never knew, was the wiser. So the kid is not the challenge for sure. It's the disciplining yourself and then the handling the family around. And that was, that was challenging. And I had to have several talks with my mom, her mom, and like, say, listen, this is really important to Katrina and I, I'm not saying that there's not going to come a day where you and my son get to go have ice cream together or do those things, but I want to be the one to introduce that. I haven't introduced that to him. I haven't had the chance. Don't rob me as a parent of that, that time that I want to be able to do that. And I look forward to the day that I get to do that with him. So please don't take that from me. If you do, you won't be getting my son. Just that simple. It's like, he is not going to be allowed to eat at your house if you can't abide by that. And of course, you're going to have parents that try or people that try and sneak that stuff. And we had to have a lot of hard. Now, the cool thing is when, when you are so disciplined and consistent with it, like Katrina and I were so dialed about it that I always knew if something was off because my son's, it would throw my son's sleep off. It would throw his stool off. He would be a different kid. And a lot of times they had to deal with that because they were the ones that did it when it was, he wasn't with me. And like, oh my God, he wouldn't go to sleep. And oh, his stool was this is that. It's like, what did you feed him? Did you not <laughs> feed him what we told you to feed him? Because if you give him his diet and you give him the foods that he's used to eating, his stool will be normal, his behavior will be normal, and he'll go to bed like he's supposed to. If you guys gave him some, and luckily I have people that would at least admit when they they stepped out of that. And I think that's actually how they started to buy in because they did that to me a couple times where behind my back, they would do those things thinking they're being all clever and being the fun aunt or uncle. And then it bit them in the ass because it threw my son's behavior off. It threw his stool off. And then they were like scratching their head. And I'm going, yeah, that's because you introduced something like that to him that he hasn't had. And his system isn't ready for it. And his behavior is reflecting of that. And that is why Katrina and I don't want to do that with him. And so yeah, it took a it took quite a few conversations, not all the easiest either. And I was really, really, really stern about it. And I think, I think after a while, I think they started to realize how important it was to me. And then I also think they realized too that I'm like, listen, I'm not saying my kid is never going to have sugar. I mean, here he is at four; he's now had sugar plenty of times. But it's it's so cool to watch how it makes its way into like it's very rarely it's at birthday parties, it's in these rare occasions. And now, and he's fully aware and can have a conversation with them. It's not a big deal for him to share. He just got his hair cut, right? For example. And so um, for him to sit still in a barber chair for a, a long period of time like that, I mean, I do the whole, I line him up and fade him and do all sorts of that. So asking a, a three-year-old kid <laughs> to do that was super challenging. But here's what's really cool about when you've been consistent with restricting something like that, him getting a little tiny dum-dum lollipop is such a massive treat and he knows that the the barber and I've given her that like yeah he can have one of those. She she will tell him that at the end if you if you're good you get a treat. And my son's like, I mean he does he doesn't move, and he's so grateful that he gets that and it has a lot of power. The parents that I see that use candy all the time as a tool of bribery and they introduce it so early it loses its power just like anything else that you do if you are constantly using something. The sooner or later, the kid will start to expect it all the time. So we and we treat uh, sugar and candy the same way that we also treat the iPad. I recognize that 
the iPad is a tool. I can't neglect my kid from technology. I don't, he's got to be able to function in this world. So I recognize it's, uh, it's power and it's usage, but I, on that same token, I understand the power on the other side of it, that it can be very addictive and could create bad behaviors around it. So Katrina and I use that judiciously. Also, we're very careful on how much time he gets to utilize something like that. And what's great when we do good about disciplining ourselves around how much time he gets, when we do use it, for example, we travel, we fly a lot. My son gets to use his iPad when we travel. I, there's times when we're in the airport for six, eight hours between the taking off in the plane and landing. That's a long time for a three or a four-year-old not to get crabby. And my son has the best behavior. Why? Because we allow him to, to use something like that that he doesn't get in his life. So he it's like a major treat. And he knows that those times when we do that, those are the times that he gets to do that. So he looks forward to flying because he knows he's going to get to play on his iPad, which he doesn't get to do all the time. Now, I do want to add like what, what was most challenging about those things as far as implementing that as a system in the, into the household was actually came back on me. And I remember when I had this moment of like, man, I just, he's, he's asking for it. He wants to play with it. He wants to, you know, and I'm, I'm busy doing so that. And so the def default is I want to be able to let him have it. What I realized was, and it's the same thing goes for food. If I, if I am actively making the choice to, to do something with him, he'll always choose playing with me over a tool. You know, he'll always choose going and eating dinner with mom and dad than sitting and having some junk food snack by himself. And so it's on me as a parent to recognize those moments when I know the easy default is give him the iPad, give him the snack or the treat, and I have to get up and actually do something. So this is where I think, and, and I've been challenged there too. And I've had those moments of where, oh, I'm so tired. I just want to, I just want to give it to him. And I remind myself that this is where, this is how people get ca caught in this trap is those moments start to sneak up and sneak up on you. And then an, ex an exception happens to be, uh, okay, now it's twice. Now it's three times. Then it becomes the rule. Then it becomes the norm. And then you try and pull back and try and change it. But you try and take those can those candy, those treats away. You try and take that iPad away. And now the kid acts like a kid and freaks out because they're reacting to what you have trained them to be used to. And now you are taking it away versus we've been very careful on how we introduce those things so that it is a very special treat and he's not, he doesn't expect it because it's so rare, but then man, when we, when Katrina and I know we really need this, like, Oh man, this is going to be a time when it would be really nice for us to have him focused on something or enjoying his little treat is like, okay, we can introduce that. And we, as parents have used those times uh, like to do that stuff. But because I think we have been so consistent with restricting it, I think it's, it's, it's kept its power and, and I think that he's never got to a place where he gets it so often that he expects it and, and, it, and it's like a real fight over it. It's never a fight. So I know like a lot of women like that I talk to have kids already like in their like they're like 10 or even in their teens. So how do you start like what would be your advice to navigate that where it's already been like junk foods the norm and like now they're trying to change stuff. When they go grocery shopping with their family, like, well, we're out of chips now. And it's like, oh, I don't really want those in the house. But like, so how do you navigate that or like have those conversations with your kids or your spouse or whoever? 
So this is like converting somebody into a religion that you believe in, right? And they've been indoctrinated <laughs> by something else, whether that be indoctrinated by their schools and society and uh, whatever. And then now you're switching religions and you're trying to convert them over to you. And the, and the same thing with that. Like if you all of a sudden become this, you know, a Bible thumper person who's constantly thumping your belief, your religion over them, you're going to get rebellion, especially from someone like that that's already be tr been trained in a different ideology, so the, the best way that you can win someone over that is through you and through your behaviors. It unfortunately is a slower, longer process. It still starts with getting that shit out of your house. Right? You, I'm a parent. You live under my roof. This is what we buy now. It's just that simple. It's just and, and if my kid is fighting me so much on that, well, then you can go get a job and you can go pay for you know, your bags of chips if you really want it. And until then, as long as you, if I'm providing the food, this is how I want our family to take care of themselves. Mom is, mom is taking care of herself this way. Uh, and this is what I'm going to have in the house to eat. I will always take care of you kids and make sure you're fed. But I no longer want those foods because I, I think I'm doing you guys a disservice by feeding you guys that junk food. That's why. And I'm taking care of myself, too. And we're not going to do that going forward. So it starts with like a conversation like that and then consistency from you of modeling those behaviors. And it is this it is the slow game. They've got to see the change in mom. They got to see that mom is a happy, healthier, more vibrant, better mood, better sleep, better mom for them to start to go like, man, what? What's going on with mom? Like, man, mom, mom looks good. Mom feels good. Mom's got more energy. She's in a better mood. We do more stuff, physical activity stuff. She plays more with like, they have to feel it and see it from you to make them curious about it. And then, the, then seize those opportunities to educate on the power of foods. Of like, you know, your kid going, man, mom, you, you, I tell you, you're, you're so much more energy. I swear you, I, you used to never be able to do this with me. Now you do this. Like, you know what that is, son, that your mom has had her diet dialed in for the last year. And I've been really consistent with my workouts feeding it. And it's amazing how it makes me feel inside. I can't stress enough to you. Like, I know you're young and you feel vibrant. You don't think of those things now, but what you put in your body really makes a difference on how you perform. And of course, if I'm a parent, I'm going to try and attach it to something that my child is into, right? So if I have a 10 year old, which I don't have yet, I'm probably thinking about the things that they're into. I can find a way to tie how eating healthy benefits probably any kid, whether they're into video games, they into reading books, building Legos, they're uh, into some sport that they're into. I mean, they're, uh, they're into school. They love uh, getting good grades, like telling your kid, I mean, eating healthy increases everything positively. So I'm going to find a way to communicate to them through their language. So whatever the thing that gets my kid most excited about, and he's now, he or she has now made the connection in how I'm different. And it's opened the door for that conversation. Like you've made a comment like, oh man, dad, you look so good. Or, oh my God, you're so strong now, dad. Or, oh man, you're so active now. And now, now that you open the door for the conversation, now I'm going to explain what that's from, from my choices around food and exercise. And then I'm going to explain what that does for whatever that is that they're into. So now they're like, they made the connection. They saw what it's doing to mom or dad. They're now asking, so they're inquiring. I now have the opportunity to educate on why that is related to food and exercise. And then I'm going to tie it back to whatever it is that they're really into. So they go like, oh, wow, it's going to make me better at my video games. Or you mean you think that I'm going to be able to learn faster or study better for my tests? Like, or I'm going to be better on the soccer field because I eat like you now, Mom Dad? Like, yes, absolutely. Like that, I think, is the secret to 
shifting that in your house because that is going to be really difficult. Starting from from day one, much easier. That's just purely you being disciplined, being consistent. Your kid doesn't know any wiser. You didn't know that you were missing out on peanut butter. It wasn't like you were deprived. <laughs> it wasn't like it wasn't like you were deprived. It wasn't like you came home every day from school and like my parents are the worst. I've never had peanut butter. You didn't know the wiser. You didn't know the wiser because they didn't even let you experience that. And you didn't think you were being deprived. The same thing goes for a household that doesn't have ice cream, doesn't have soda, doesn't have chips, doesn't go to drive through McDonald's once a week. Like if you model those behaviors from day one with your kids, they won't know the wiser. In fact, everybody else will look weird. All the other kids that they're around, they, even though that is the norm for a lot of other families, you create the, the original norm of your household and consistency, then when they go out into society and they see that, oh God, you know, Mark gets to go to McDonald's four days a week. That's crazy. That's weird. I can't believe he eats that. Like they'll be weird. You'll be normal. If you do that from day one, it's the shifting that culture in your house midway through because you, you now have just decided I'm going to go on this health and fitness kick and I'm trying to shift my whole family fighting them and forcing them to adopt your new religion is going to be really difficult. Go go live the brand. Go live, go model it. Show if you really believe how important it is to you to do that and you know what it's going to do for your health, you know how much better it's going to make you, go prove that to yourself and then model that for them and let them figure that out for themselves. No different than like I, I what I was using the analogy with religion. Like the most powerful way to convert somebody into your beliefs is to not tell them about your beliefs or beat them over the head with scripture and tell them what the Bible says or shame them into trying to get into your life. That'll never be successful. What will be successful is walking a life that is so special, so unique that people notice and they ask questions. And that goes for your family and your kids. They'll notice what's different about you. They'll ask questions. Now I have the opportunity to share with them what's been so special about what mom or dad has been doing the last six months or a year of their life. So focus on your consistency and modeling that first, then then they'll come along. Yeah, I think that's like huge because so many people are afraid of like their kids seeing them track food or measure food or weigh food. But like a lot of the women that we, women that we work with, like we track to make sure they're eating enough because so many women that we work with are under eating for so long. And so we were working out, like one of my coaches is working with this one client. We worked with her for like four months. And then she messaged me. She's like, hey, like my son's like asking questions that I'm not really sure about. Like, could you do up like a quick little like macro plan for me? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like we'll go back and forth. So they started like weighing their food together and like one day he was having digestion issues. They looked back at their track and like, oh, it's because like your fiber really fluctuated. So they like learned to like troubleshoot together and stuff. She's like, yeah, now we meal prep together. We get our groceries together. She's like, it's been so great. And she's like, I'm a little annoyed because over the course of the summer, he lost like 20 pounds super easy because he's like 17 and a boy. And she's like, and here I am like six months in and I'm, I finally feel better. My energy's good. My sleep's good. I'm finally starting to lose weight and it's good. She's like, but I'm a little peeved at how easy it was for him, but now she feels confident that after this school year and he goes to university, like he's not going to fall into the trap of like just having all this junk food in the house and living off KD. Like he's learning all these like skills. And I'm like, oh, this is amazing. But I know a lot that's like a relationship with her son. I know a lot of women are like terrified to have their daughters like ask why they're weighing their food or why they're tracking. And I think 
trying to teach them how to like word things with their kids is super important, like the language they use. So what kind of language would you recommend if like, especially for like women in particular, because body image and like nutrition is, is it's honestly, it's scary. Like it really is. <laughs> it very much so is. And that's a really, so I'm very careful about weighing, tracking and allowing your kids to see or be involved in it. And the, the language you use is extremely important around that, especially as a woman, especially as having a daughter. Right. And not that that's not important for a, a man and a, a boy too, but like, I just feel like that uh, body image stuff is is much stronger in in just because of the way we've marketed to women for so many for so many decades that this you know anorexic coke model is what the, the epitome of health is which couldn't be further from the truth right and that's been shown to us on magazines and television forever and so I do think it's very important on the language that you use one of the things is that's why I made the comment about when I'm explaining to to my child both either boy or girl is I want to connect it to the things that they're in. And notice I talk about their sport or their education performance. I don't want to connect it to, to body image at all. It's this mom is not doing this because she's fat. That's a bad thing. Like I do not want to tell my kid I'm weighing and tracking my food because I'm fat and I need to change that. No, I'm mom wants to be healthier. I'm not taking care of myself. And I, I want to get better sleep. I want to have more energy so I can play with you. I want to perform better at work. And mom really has been making a lot of bad choices when it comes to how she feeds her body. And so I'm really trying, the reason why I'm weighing and measuring is I'm, I'm basically learning. I'm learning to see what is it I'm doing so I can be accountable for those things. Not, and nothing to do with the way you look or your weight or scale. You want to avoid saying things like that or letting a kid see that in you, which is really important because even if you're not telling your your kid to do any of this stuff or the but the kids asking questions or watching or and, and listen maybe uh, out in the other room listening and you're saying things out loud maybe to your husband or to a girlfriend and like oh man I'm so fat I got to get on this diet or oh my trainer's giving me a heart like be careful because that type of shit your kid is picking up on those things so be very mindful of the way you talk about yourself especially related to weight and body image if you have children around in the area, because they are little sponges. And even if you're not talking directly to them, you can be impacting their, their body image issues just by them being an earshot away and hearing the way mom talks about herself. So it's very important that when you know they're anywhere in the house or the area, and you were talking about that, avoid talking about the way you look or the scale, even if you feel that way, because that's your own stuff that as a coach, I would be working on with you, like working through that process and any sort of either body dysmorphia or body image issues that you have. I'm going to be working with you on that. So, so we don't fuck your child up too. do not talk like that about yourself with them anywhere in the vicinity. And if they do ask you questions about why is mom prepping, because it has nothing to do with your, the way you look or your weight. It has everything to do with how you feel and wanting to love yourself and take care of yourself. And eating McDonald's or eating chips and dip is not the best way to love myself or take care of myself. And I'm on a mission to do that. I'm on a mission so I can live long and play with your grandkids and hopefully be have great grandkids one day. And so your mom is really focused on that. And I, I want to be healthier and better. And the first part of getting healthier and better is, is educating myself on what am I doing? 
So I'm tracking to figure all that out. I want to see what exactly I'm intaking. I hired a coach and a trainer who is helping me learn about what foods provide, what things for my body, where I might be lacking in nutrients and learning how to balance that all out. And that's what your mom's on a mission to do. And if you ever want have any questions, you can ask me or you can ask, ask my coach and they can answer for you. But do not tie it uh, to the way you look or your scale. That could be very detrimental to your kid, even if you're not telling them, just them hearing you talk that way. Yeah, I think that's really huge. Like, I think like we always tell women, it's like, oh, this is because I need to make sure I'm eating enough food or I need to make sure that I'm taking care of my health. Like, I think it's just like, for me, I was very lucky that my mom never really focused on her body image. However, she was like, a horrific cook. <laughs> like we rotated like through the same five meals. And I think that's why I love food so much is like, there's so much out there. I had no idea about, um, including peanut butter. Um, so now we've touched a bunch on like the kids stuff. How about when you're starting a journey and your spouse might not be the most supportive or thinks it's like, Oh, here's another like money down the drain. You're not going to stick to it. Or what's the point? or just eat less, move more, or you can do your thing. I'm still going to have all this stuff in the house. Like, how do you go about that conversation? Because that unfortunately appears a lot more often than we like, unfortunately. Yeah, no, there's actually a lot of research around uh, couples where one couple actually loses all the weight or gets in shape. Like the divorce rate goes extremely high on that person. But what I would tell, what I would tell my, my, husbands or wives in this situation is it, it has actually less to do with the whole fitness thing. It actually has more to do with that. Someone in the relationship is growth minded and the other person is not. So let's take diet and exercise out of the equation. And this is just one of the, one of the people is in pursuit to be a better human. And the other person doesn't give a shit. And I don't care what it is that will divide any marriage. That will cause a, a divorce no matter what, because one person is growing. I mean, in a, in a, in a perfect marriage, so in, a, in a perfect marriage doesn't mean there's not fighting, there's not disagreements, there's not troubles or challenges, but both people are growing together. And if one person is growth-minded and the other person is not, you're going to grow apart from each other. The inevitable is going to happen. It doesn't matter that it has anything to do with losing weight, gaining weight, building muscle, working out, diet. So it has, it's not that. Is that one partner is that is focused on another. And so my recommendation is if you want to save this marriage is counseling and therapy. It has nothing to do with you trying to convert them into trying to eat like you're eating. It's that you're on a mission to be a better version of yourself and you care that much and your partner doesn't care that much. There's a problem right there. Forget that it has anything to do with diet. Forget about who needs to lose more weight or not. Don't focus on that. That's the wrong thing to focus on. And if you, if you have a partner who is not supportive of that, you're in bigger, you're in bigger trouble than you think you are. Because it, again, it's not, it's not the weight thing. It's not the exercise thing. It's like, and think about that. Anybody there's, I can't imagine like, it's so funny because it's the weight thing is such a sensitive thing for people or exercise. So funny, but imagine being married to somebody who saw you reading and was like, and shamed you for that. Why are you reading? Why are you reading a book for like, stay dumb. You know, like, why would you, why would you continue? Or why are you furthering your education on your free time? Like, that's so weird. Like that someone would, would, would shame another person like that. And the the problem with that relationship is nothing to do with the books or anything. It's like that, that, that one person wants to get better and be a better version of themselves. And the other person is not interested in that at all. 
And that's a very unhealthy marriage and relationship to be in. And if that person doesn't drown you there, they'll drown you somewhere else. So maybe you find a way to still get in shape despite them. They're going to be holding you back somewhere else in life, or you're going to have another hurdle that you're going to have to. So if you're in a marriage where you do not have a supportive spouse, then you're in more trouble than you think you are. And it's not, it does not have to do with just exercise and fitness. You probably should get into therapy or recognize that maybe this is not your life partner that you think that you have just simple as it really is the simple as that. And you're wasting your time trying to convince them like you, that you, you, you don't want to even save your energy for continuing to improve yourself because that it's going to take everything you got just to be that, just to be consistent with your own diet, to stay dialed, stop worrying about them. Like Jordan Peterson say, clean your own room, focus on being a better version of yourself. And by the way, if you are going to ever get them to adopt what you're doing, that's the best approach anyways. Back to the analogy of the beating people over the head with the Bible or getting them to, to, uh, to get indoctrinated in your religion, the way is not to beat them with scripture or shame them. It's to live by example. So even if you want your spouse to buy into what you're doing and they're not really bought in or they're not really supportive, you fighting over it or arguing with them about it or trying to convince them is not the strategy anyways. The strategy still is clean your own room, be be even better, be even more consistent, be even more dialed yourself, and, and then hope and pray that that gets them to then want to adopt what, what they're do what you're doing. And then they do. And then, you know what, there's probably hope for your marriage. Maybe this person doesn't believe you because you're the person who says you're going to do something and you never follow through. And they don't even have belief that you're going to execute what you're saying. So instead of arguing with them that you're going to go show them, go show them that you're serious this time, that you are, you do want to change your life. And then maybe you surprise even your spouse who's been with you for 15 years because, oh my God, she said she was going to do that a hundred times and she actually did it. And I just sat back and watched her. Now I'm behind. Now I'm like, oh my God, I'm so inspired by you doing that. I want to do it now. Or you find out, which is why I think a lot of these result in, in divorce, is you find out like, oh, this person was never going to grow with me. They were they were complacent with who they are now, and they have no desire to continue to grow and be a better person. And so I'm out. Yeah. Like Taylor and I, <clears throat> when we like first met, we had like conversations, like what's important to us, like what are our non-negotiables, like what we value. And it was like, <laughs> we're, we're both like, don't mess around people. It's like, are you cool with this? Are you not? If not, see ya, we'll go our separate ways kind of thing. And one thing that he brought up that we like has been like a very important part of our relationship is the whole principle of sharing. It's like, if it's important to him, even if I don't understand it, even if I don't get it, there's got to be some aspect of it that I like can respect or find some little bit of joy. And if it's important to him, then it's important to me. Like, so if like he's going on this journey of like self-improvement, I'm there along with him. If I am trying to do whatever he is, like when I was doing a fat loss phase for our wedding, he would like weigh out my stuff in the morning for breakfast and put it on a sticky note. And I'm like, that's amazing. And he's like, I'm not doing it for myself. I don't care. I'm going to eat whatever. But like, this is important to you, whatever. I'm making breakfast anyways. I'm not going to weigh my stuff. Here's yours. Like, you're not always going to have a partner that's going to weigh your food for you. Like, that's not realistic. And I totally understand that. There's like an anomaly there. But it's like having conversations as to like, it's you two against stuff as against instead of just like, oh, no, that's your thing. You're on your own. Like, yes, you have your separate things, but like there still has to be some aspect of like 
support there. And yes, that's more of like a relationship thing as opposed to like other stuff. But it is true. It's going to show in some facet of your life. If it's not with you trying to pursue your health and fitness, it could be a career thing. It could be anything really, honestly. Yeah. It'll, it'll manifest in some other aspect of the relationship. That's why I like to take the whole, take the whole diet thing out of it. You know, I'll say something that's pretty controversial or probably ruffle some feathers here. So Katrina and I look at, uh, that or look at somebody who is not taking care of themselves, right. And has let themselves go, uh, as far as making good food choices for themselves, exercising, uh, the same way we think of infidelity. We look at it as you're cheating on yourself. Like if you, if you don't love yourself enough to take care of yourself, and by the way, there's a wide spectrum there. So I'm, I don't look like bodybuilder stage ready right now. Like I look like <laughs> a dad who kind of works out and takes care of himself a little bit. Right. Like, so it's not like Katrina's like, oh, you're 13% body fat. You're cheating on yourself. It's like healthy, right? Like healthy is what's important to us. So if we move outside of that box, it's no different than her going outside of our marriage and sleeping with someone else. That's the way we look at it. It's like, you're, you're cheating on yourself in that situation. You're not loving yourself. And that's going to manifest in other aspects of our life. If you're not willing to take the, the steps necessary to take care of yourself and love yourself, you're never going to be able to be a full partner and love me. So why do we even waste any of our time? It's no different than me stepping out of the marriage and cheating on you. You're cheating on yourself. So either one, figure that out, reconcile that and move forward. Or if you're going to continue to cheat, I'm probably just going to divorce you because you don't really want to be with me. You're constantly stepping outside of the marriage. That's the way we look at it the same way. And we made that deal when we first met was just like, Hey, I'm not expecting you to have six pack abs year round with that, but I, I do expect you to want to be growth minded and to always be in pursuit of being a better version of yourself, which means you're going to be always loving and taking care of yourself in one fashion or another. doesn't mean that we don't have grace for each other. It's not like, Katrina, you just got to have a baby. And I'm like, hey, come on, top clock's ticking. You need to be ripped soon here. <laughs> of course. But if she's growth-minded and she's moving in that direction to improve herself the same way as I'm always doing that too, then of course there's, there's grace, there's patience, and we're supporting each other through that. But if you're just, you throw in the towel and you're like, you can follow a diet. I don't care. I'm going to eat like shit, not exercise. Then you're not loving yourself. And if you're not loving yourself, how could you possibly fully love me? And I, I was committed to fully loving you. And that's when we signed up for this deal. That was the deal that we made. And I think it's like <clears throat> people will use stuff like that as like had a baby or had this or had that as an excuse as to like why they can't get to where they are. It's like, oh, well, now I'm really busy with this. And it's like, you have these competing pieces of your identity almost. And this is something I talk about with my ladies all the time is like, okay, yes, like you're a mom, you're a caretaker, you're a career woman, you're this, you're that. And you're also this person that's like trying to improve their health and be better and improve their biofeedback or whatever it is that we're working on. But we so, we let one aspect of our identity take over everything else. So it's like, this is something I struggle with is like, I'm someone who values my health and my fitness. So I'm a, I'm a person who goes to the gym. That's part of my identity. But on the other hand, it's like, I'm a person who owns a business. I work really hard. I work a lot. And it's something that I genuinely enjoy. But sometimes I'll like give up the fitness and health aspect of my identity for that. So it's like trying to find that balance and be like, the thing that's really holding you back is that you're holding on to these other aspects and using it as an excuse as to why you're not this or you're just you don't want that to be a part of a, your identity. You just don't value it enough. It's not important enough. And a lot of people don't like to hear that, but that's really what it comes down to. It's you don't feel like it's important enough. There's other things that are bigger priority. Fine. 
that's totally fine. But then you have to be okay with the fact that you're not where you want to be because it hasn't been a priority yet. And like people do not like taking responsibility over that whatsoever because it doesn't feel good. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things, one of the things that it, it took me a long time in my, in my fitness journey to evolve to this place. Um, obviously most of us that are personal trainers and in the fitness thing, like we love to work out. We love that aspect of it. And very much so I identified as that, you know, you know, buff go to the gym trainer guy for a long time. And as I've gotten older, I think probably fatherhood has played a big role in this too, is like, that's less important to me and it, being healthy is extremely important to me. So, um, I can be really busy to where I go on stents where I barely ever make it to the gym or I haven't been in the gym actually in months again right now. I do have, a, I do have equipment at my house, but I haven't been on a, like a hardcore consistent training routine in actually a really long time, but I still make healthy choices. I'm aware that I'm not training six, seven days a week. And so I can't eat the same way that I ate when I trained six, seven days a week. Like, so I, I find other ways to create activity. So instead of sitting down and watching TV on a Saturday because I'm less, I'm less active. I'm not training. My training volume's not up. Oh, well, let's go for a hike that day or let's go play with my son in the park. And so, you know, we, we sometimes as trainers and coaches, we, we wrap our identity so much into the, like the, the working out, the lifting the weights and a look or being in the gym so much. And it's like, well, true health doesn't look like that. True health uh, it means I'm, I'm strong. I'm healthy. I'm mobile. I have somewhat good stamina and energy. Like, and so I've, I've let go of like, oh, I have to be here in order to, to fill this quota of what makes a, a healthy fit trainer guy. It's like, no, I, I just need to learn to have that balance. There's going to be seasons of my life when I'm buried into my career and I love, and I love it and because I'm into it because we're growing something that's beautiful and amazing and it, and it keeps me up at night because I love it so much. And so it's going to take me away from, you know, lifting six days a week. That's Okay. That just means that when I make food choices, those aren't the days that I can indulge, like I could indulge when I'm training six, seven days a week. And so you don't always have to have hardcore discipline of lifting weights in the gym. Now, I think that's one of the easiest, best ways to do it because you build muscle, it speeds your metabolism up, it makes your body so calorie dependent on what you're doing. So that's huge for the metabolism and gives you lots of flexibility in your diet. But if I'm going to use the excuse that I'm so busy, I can't do these things, Okay, well then I'm going to be disciplined to not make these choices. So it's like, it's just give and take. It's like, okay, I am too busy right now. I'm okay with it. which as a trainer and coach, I learned to, to communicate that different with clients, right? I used to do the old school, like, oh, there's the, you know, seven days a week, there's 24 hours in a day, you sleep this much. I used to break down the math and be like, you know, you're just choosing to not go to the gym for an hour. It's like, okay, well I could say that, or I could say, Hey, you don't have to go to the gym every day to be healthy. You can go, you can go do walking lunges outside and some push-ups and some pull-ups and, you know, go for an hour walk with your wife and connect with your relationship and then make good food choices that day. And you are definitely moving the needle towards health, especially compared to 99% of the population. So it doesn't have to look like this perfect hardcore routine all the time. Sometimes being healthy and getting fit is just making better choices in other, like the health sphere is so much bigger than just weight training and dieting. I mean, and cardio and so, I mean, there's your relationship with your wife or your spouse, right? Your relationship with your kids and your family, um, your, uh, relationship with friends. This is part of health. Um, your heart health, your, your balance of your nutrition that your body is getting you getting out and getting in the sun and getting some, some actual real sunshine in the day. Like these are all choices that 
when I'm really busy and maybe I can't get to, to the gym or prep my food, I can still do other aspects that are, that are, that are making me better, that are making me a healthier person. Yeah. Like I always like to tell women, like there's different seasons and what those pillars are in terms of like what your bare minimums are to like maintain progress or maintain where you are will change at those seasons. When you're in a season where you can push and you have the time, that's where we're going to the gym more. That's where we're doing more of the meal prepping things, all those stuff. And we're in a season where things are busier. Maybe your pillars are only going out for the walks and doing this. There's different bare minimums in different seasons of your life. And you're never going to be able to push every single season of your life. It's not realistic. Like we had to have a chat with a woman who was doing a ton of cardio, like training for a marathon with her kids. Awesome. Great quality time with your kids. Great for your heart. But she was frustrated because she wasn't seeing fat loss. I'm like, this isn't the season for it. This isn't what we're focusing on. You're focusing on quality time and like a performance thing. Performance doesn't always equal like physique changes, particularly in women with cardio. So it's like, what your seasons are and what your focuses are, are going to be completely different. Um, and just like understanding that and like realizing that people just get frustrated, right? So it's like, depending where you are in your life and your season, what we're focusing on, results are going to be different. And like what you can anticipate and expect is also going to be different. There, there's, there's never a, an excuse to not be trying to get healthier. Like you can be the busiest person in the world. So you can make a decision that day because you say your life was just out of control, so busy, everything went wrong. So, and I, and I couldn't go do anything. Okay. Well, tonight I'm going to make sure I, I get a really good night, good night's rest because I obviously need it. If you were that busy, you had that much stress going in your life. One of the best things you can do is probably give your body adequate rest and, and put together a good sleep routine. Well, what do we normally do? Go smoke some cigarettes or pound a bottle of wine or binge <laughs> some Netflix at night. Like that's not a healthy choice right there after you've had this crazy, rough, long day. It's like there in, in every day, there are small wins that you can make towards health. And when I'm coaching and, and, and helping a client, I'm not, I'm not dwelling on the, you didn't get an hour workout in the gym or you didn't meal prep and therefore you failed. It's like, okay, life happens, man. I get it. I'm, I'm a busy dude. I'm a father too. Like I know things don't go as accordingly. Like, don't beat yourself up over it. So pay attention, focus on the things that you can control. Focus on the things that you can make a better decision. So what? You didn't go to the gym today. So make a really good choice in the way you, the, the, the meal you decide to eat. Or make sure you have, you spend that time that you didn't go in the gym and instead you're with your wife. So connect with her. You know, like there's so many things that you can do to become a healthier person every single day that doesn't involve this like weighing and, and tracking macros and going and lifting weights. And so just because you might have planned to do one of those things and it fell through, doesn't mean that you still can't move in the direction of becoming a healthier version of yourself. Exactly. And I think if you just keep like practicing that, and I think that's the biggest thing is like people are like, either it happened or it didn't happen, or like I tried and it didn't work. And it's like, no, like every day you're practicing that these are skills you're developing, figuring out what that looks like, what your like bare minimums are and things like that. And like the more you can like model that for your kids and your family and things like that, that's where things will really change for you. Cause the more that you're doing that and like communicating that it will just rub off on other people. That's just like, you know, people who go to counseling and stuff, they communicate better and they communicate with other people better. And it just like multiplies in every aspect of your life. And I think people just take the little things for granted, just like doing pushups every day will add up in the long run, just like having cake every single day is going to add up in the long run. It's 
the small things that matter. And we all think about these huge monumental things and these huge shifts and these big moments, but life isn't these big moments. Big changes aren't from these big monumental things. It's the little stuff in between the gray area where life happens. And that's where real change happens. We all think about like that one big moment. And it's like, that doesn't even show the whole picture. It doesn't like not even at all. Yeah. It's, it's wild how one, how contagious that is. And two, how this applies to so many other aspects of life. Right. So probably one of the most common things I get asked when we get interviewed is like, how the hell did, you know, four, you know, guys get together and build a business together. And all four of us are considered, you know, CEOs of another company that we've ran before. And now like, how do you guys, how do you divide that? How did, how did, who, who leads? How do you decide? Like, doesn't that cause all kinds of drama or rift? And it's like, no, it's the same. And it, but that doesn't mean that there's not a day that hasn't gone by where I've been frustrated with Sal or Justin or Doug or vice versa. But the one way that I think that we all approach it is the same way that we coach clients with, with what we're talking about right now is like, if I'm frustrated that I feel like Sal's not pulling his weight or he's not doing something or Justin is, the best way for me to influence that is not to sit him down and shame him and tell him if he's doing wrong, is for me to work harder myself. It's for me to like, because they're the type of people, because I know they're growth-minded and they want to be better versions of themselves. If they see me putting in even more time when they say maybe they're dragging their feet, the, it will wear on them. The guilt will get to them because they they care so much about being be a better version of themselves. They'll start to work harder. So it's like crazy how that same concept that I teach people with their spouses applies even in a, re a relationship like in business that if I want them to do more things, it's not a better strategy for me to tell them everything they're not doing and shame them into working harder. It's again, focus on myself and being even better and hoping that's contagious and it works every time. Exactly. So Adam, I think everyone should follow you because I mean, I've been following you for a very, very long time and like been in all the maps, products, things and all that kind of stuff. So where can people find you because they should find you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, at, th at this point, hopefully we, uh, we have dominated anything related to mind pump. So I'm pretty sure you could just Google us. Uh, probably the coolest resource that is free and new. I, one of the things I always tell people is to take advantage of all the free content that we have, right? We have we built this business off of providing free, valuable content first. And so I always encourage people to go take advantage of all the free stuff first. You have mindpumpfree.com, which is full of all kinds of white papers that we've written related to diet and exercise that you can read up on that are really valuable. We have the three YouTube channels that are uh, Mind Pump TV, the Mind Pump Podcast, and Mind Pump Radio. All those provide free content, free clips, free information around there. We now have the AI tool which is askmindpump.com. Ask it's literally AI. So you could type in almost any question you could possibly think of related to fitness and it'll spit out an answer like one of us was responding to you. It'll also clip anywhere that we've actually talked about that on YouTube or podcasts or clips. And so you can actually go listen to the whole long form if you want to hear that or just get the AI answer. Um, so take advantage of all that free stuff. So, and we're on all the social media platforms. We're most active uh, on Instagram, but uh, you can find us pretty much anywhere that you can listen to or find content. Yeah, their podcast is amazing. You guys should definitely go check it out because it changed my life. So I wouldn't be here where I am today if it wasn't for you guys, for sure. <laughs> Thank you again so much, Adam, for being on the podcast and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, dear.